Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, uh, verses uh, 1 through 17, the whole chapter, uh, that's on page 557. Uh, that's what we're going to be looking at this evening uh, as we continue our, our series through Ecclesiastes. I know last week uh, Lawrence was here and, and we took a little break uh, from this, uh, but it's good to be back in it uh, this evening. Ecclesiastes 8. It's interesting to see how much of Ecclesiastes is really about uh, in some ways, ancient politics, and we, we hear it once again uh, this evening uh, as we as we come to this passage. And it's also interesting. Some of you've heard me recommend David Gibson's book. He doesn't have a chapter on this particular chapter, so you're getting from me the lost David Gibson chapter. So uh, maybe maybe his next edition will feature this uh, in some some form. Probably not, but we'll see. Uh, Ecclesiastes eight beginning in verse 1 and reading through the end of the chapter. And this is God's holy word. Who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, what are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time in the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There's no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observe while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity, because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God, because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow, because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth, that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes see sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forevermore. I wonder what, what you think is, is a big enough deal to take take a stand on. You know, we, we like to to whinge about a lot of things, don't we? But there's, there's very few things where we, where we actually have to take a stand. And that's, that's really what, 
what, what Solomon, the, the preacher, is, is talking about tonight, particularly in, in the early verses before us. Those, the, those, those moments where uh, you're, it, it, he, he's talking about a, a person in the, the court of the king who's faced with a, an issue of conscience, a struggle over uh, what's the right thing to do when, when a king is, is doing either wicked deeds or at the very least ignorant deeds. But we love problem solvers, don't we? We love people who, who fix things. When things uh, are going wrong, we, we, just, we, we just want it fixed, right? If the government puts in a, a poor policy, we want, we want them to, to change that. And that, that works out okay for us in a Western democracy, doesn't it? Because if, if enough of us complain and whinge, then uh, often they'll, they'll eventually uh, change the policy. That wasn't how it was in the, the ancient world. The king had absolute power. We also have the option of, of going to the ballot box in a few years' time and, and changing things. But over time, we, we begin to feel disappointed, don't we? And we, we go to the ballot box, and, and after a while, we start to, to think we're not given very good uh, choices. It seems that, that, that uh, the, the more that, that we change leadership or the more that we uh, look to, to humans to, to solve our problems, the more disappointed we are. And that, that disappointment trickles down into other areas of our lives, doesn't it? Particularly to our sense of, of injustice in the world. And so what are we to do? How are we to act? Uh, Solomon says that we're, we're actually to take comfort that we're to take comfort in, in the wisdom of, of knowing God, in the wisdom that he's given us in his word, and that we're to wait patiently. That's everything that he, he has to say to us tonight. He should, says we should take comfort in wisdom, remembering that, that wisdom's not the same thing as knowledge, is it? You know, knowledge is, is, uh, uh, is, is knowing lots of stuff. Wisdom is knowing what to do with that knowledge. I was reading an article this week that said, uh, the amount of knowledge we have access to, and this seems pretty obvious when you think about it, the amount of knowledge that we have access to as a society is, is unprecedented. You know, if you just get on, yeah, you, don't, you don't even have to get on your computer anymore. It's in your pocket. You've got all the knowledge in the world right, right here, don't we? Unprecedented levels of knowledge. But what this commentator in this article was, was suggesting was that we have all this knowledge, but we, we have no idea what to do with it. And that's what's missing. That's, that's called wisdom, isn't it? We're missing that, the, the simple knowledge of what to do with what we know. And the preacher Solomon this evening is calling us to find comfort and consolation in wisdom. He doesn't pretend that the world that we inhabit isn't broken. He doesn't pretend that we don't have to deal with uh, corrupt leaders and officials. He doesn't pretend that uh, the, the righteous are, are always treated well or that the wicked are, always get what they deserve. Well, what he offers us is, is unexpected comfort. The wisdom that Solomon speaks of here isn't simply uh, philosophy. It's not simply thinking warm thoughts uh, or, or, uh, or even thinking negative thoughts like the nihilists tend to do. If you remember Solomon's story, then you'll remember that, that he, he was the king who asked God for wisdom, and God, God granted that request. And what he, he then tonight is pointing us to it's not simply working out our personal approach or our philosophy of life. What, rather, what he, he invites us to look at is to, to look beyond ourselves and our circumstances and even our, our world to seek out the wisdom of God who made us and to see how that wisdom actually impacts the here and the now. And that's what he's calling us to in verse 1, isn't it? 
He wants us to, to see the impact that godly wisdom has on our lives and, and the here and now. He says, who is like the wise, who knows the interpretation of a thing. But listen to this. A man's wisdom makes his face shine. And the hardness of his face is changed. When you begin to, to not simply grasp knowledge, but understand how, how it works out in your life, it, it changes your whole outlook on life. And so let's look tonight at, uh, as he offers this evening, three ways, three areas in which the wisdom of God comforts us in the here and now. He says, first of all, that comforts us before an, an ignorant ruler. Secondly, it comforts us when the wicked are winning. And third, it comforts us when we have to wait with patience. So first, let's see the, the comfort wisdom offers when we uh, are faced with an ignorant ruler. Comfort uh, er, early on in, in the musical Hamilton. If, I know some of you in this room have seen that. Uh, the young uh, protagonist, Alexander Hamilton, is given advice from a career politician, a man named uh, Aaron Burr. And Aaron Burr's advice to Hamilton is, uh, talk less, smile more. And he's saying this as, as, don't let anyone really know what you're about, what you stand for, and, and, and all those sorts of things. He says, uh, and, and the rest of the play is really uh, all about how that was poor advice. The whole play is, is about how Hamilton, the revolutionary, uh, would be remembered for doing great things, uh, at least in America, because he wasn't afraid to take a stand. Burr, the politician, on the other hand, was, was consist consistently frustrated in his career, and, and in particular uh, by Hamilton himself. That is, until the day, uh, I'm going to spoil it for you, he shot Hamilton in a duel. It's not really a spoiler alert, is it? It's in history books. Just go read. Uh, but it may surprise us when, we, when we, we come to Ecclesiastes chapter 8 that Solomon actually has similar advice to that of Aaron Burr's. Did you notice that in the, the first, the first uh, paragraph here, beginning in, in verse 2? that He says, when it comes to dealing with a king, especially with one that's, that's a bit of an idiot or a bit maniacal, someone says it's best to talk less and smile more. If only uh, he had put it in a, to, a, to a nice beat that we could all kind of tap our feet to, then maybe we'd believe him, right? But Solomon urges, uh, urges caution in how we approach an unwise ruler because they may be a despot, but he says they're God's appointed despot. We, we actually confessed that earlier, didn't we? In, in, in our confession of, of our, our affirmation of faith, that, that nothing happens by chance, that even, even these, these, the, the, the idiotic, evil, despot rulers are put there for a purpose. And that's what verse two indicates as well, isn't it? that God has placed the, the kings of the world, the, the ruling authorities over us. We see this in other parts of scripture as well. It's supported by Proverbs 24, Romans chapter 13, and uh, even Jesus' words to Pilate as he's about to be put to death, that you have no authority but that which is given to you by my Father. Once again, this counters so much of how we look at the authorities in our own day, doesn't it? We've seen it in previous weeks. If we don't like what the government is doing, then what do we do? We can, we can just protest as loudly as we like. Unless, of course, we're a BBC football commentator. The rest of us can, can protest as loudly as we like. We can post angry things on Twitter. We can glue ourselves to motorways. I know there's many motorway gluers here with us this evening. We're glad you're here. 
if we're honest, most of us just, just whinge, don't we? We just love to have a good whinge. How does Solomon, though, encourage us? What does he tell us to do? He reminds us of, of certain facts about the king, as well as presents us with a, a model for understanding the response of wisdom to a foolish ruler. First, he says, the rulers of this world are, are going to do what they want, no matter what. We know this intuitively from, from looking at our own world, don't we? You know, it takes a lot of, of collective moral outrage to, to get a, a frontline politician to change their mind. And usually when they do, they'll, they'll change the policy without ever admitting that they were wrong. You can get on, any, uh, you, you can get on, on social media and easily find mashups of, of uh, politicians uh, saying one thing in one interview and then another thing in another interview while still claiming that they've, they've held the same position consistently their whole careers. We're actually quite blessed, though, in, in uh, our Western world because there are many parts of the world where, where you're not allowed to suggest a ruler is wrong. And those rulers never admit to any mistakes. Rulers do what they like. They don't care what most people have to say about it. But the preacher also, the preacher also says that rulers are, are mortals like you and I. They will not reign forever because there are some things even absolute dictators can't control. Did you notice that? Look at verse 8. No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Now this is where we get the, the first hint of the overarching theme of this chapter. You know, once again, death acts as an equalizer in, in Solomon's writings and reflections. The wicked can't escape it. But what's implied by Solomon here is, is that, uh, that death doesn't simply deliver the oppressed from the oppressor. Rather, the oppressor uh, is delivered to his reward, which is judgment. And he's, he receives judgment for the things that he's done in death. As Solomon brings us to wisdom, he, he points us to the, to the shadow of the, the giver of true wisdom. The God who is sovereign over even the wicked rulers. And who knows already the day of their reckoning, the day of their death. And the preacher Solomon says he, he contemplated these things as he considered the power disparities in our world. Disparities that, that caused hurt individuals. In other words, he was considering the injustices of the world brought about through the powerful. That's actually a central concern in our world today, isn't it? It's something that we hear an awful lot about. Uh, injustice and, and righting the wrongs of the, the present and the past. Uh, we hear a lot about power dynamics. What, is, what does Solomon say we're to do about them? Well, he suggests that, that godly wisdom calls us to, to talk less and smile more. To know the difference between petty frustrations and the things that are, are, are truly and deeply disconcerting. And he gives examples of the person in the court of the king who sees the, the foolishness of, uh, of, uh, and, and injustice of the wicked king. And he knows that to react in anger is, is the, the reaction of the foolish. To react in anger usually just simply creates more trouble. The wise man is slow to condemn and he's slow to, to take dramatic action. But at the same time, he doesn't have to remain in a bad situation. He doesn't have to tolerate the evil. He may withdraw from court 
the court of the king before taking a strong stand against him, which is what Solomon's example here does. This, this sort of patience goes against our natural inclinations, doesn't it? Our actual, natural inclinations is, is to get angry, to, to say what's on our minds. We often think get, get set in anger, and it's, it's not uncommon even in our, our modern world for, for people to, to have to resign or are fired from jobs for, for things that they say in public in anger. We can claim that that in, in itself is unjust, and usually it is, but, but Solomon's point is that wisdom knows the world that it lives in. It sees the world for, for what it actually is, that it's a broken place full of injustice. And wisdom knows to be patient in its protests. It's careful how it speaks truth to power. It speaks less, it smiles more, and it waits for its moment. Now notice how this is different to, to how pretty much everyone in our world, including ourselves, tend to react to these situations. It goes against every inclination of our hearts. Our instinct is to fight or flight, isn't it? Either to stand up to injustice and to act surprised when there are unjust consequences for that, or, or we keep quiet and tolerate injustice because we don't want to lose our comforts. And Solomon's actually saying you can, you can and should take a stand, but you should be smart about it. You should be wise about it. Be clear and calculating in how we speak truth to power. Show deference and respect because, because the, the powers of this world are, 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 are placed there by God himself. But we should also know the things that are worth taking a stand on. We live in an unjust world. And that's a, a struggle for every one of us. Our rulers are given to injustice as, as everyone else in our world is. But Solomon next shows us how how wisdom provides comfort when it seems that, that injustice and the wicked are winning. So the wise, lie, the wise live with, with eternal perspective. Solomon acknowledges that the wickedness of the king is a reflection of the hearts of all the powerful in the world. See, the powerful do what is necessary to maintain power. They even go, they even go into worship, don't they? They enter the holy place in order to receive praise for themselves. Did you notice that? They're, they're engaging in worship with, with uh, no real, real heart for it, no real desire for it, no love for God. Now, that's less fashionable these days. But there was a day, even in, uh, in this country, where you would go to church as a way of, of maybe building your, con- your, your contacts and connections. It's a way of, of drumming up business. And that, that day wasn't very long ago. It's a way to, to get elected to government. In ancient Israel... It was no different. The, those who wanted power and, and, and had to, had to, to put on a, a show of engaging in worship. That was their, their uh, uh, campaign, if you will. That's a terrible thing, isn't it? But God was seemingly silent in the midst of that. And because of that silence, evil increased, we're told. Look at verse 11. Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. You see, sin appears to run rampant because there, there doesn't appear to be any immediate consequence for it. Solomon says this isn't exclusively the, the heart of the powerful. This is, this is all of our hearts, isn't it? It's the heart of the teenager who likes to be a bit cheeky. 
It's the heart of the young man who likes to see what he can say to get a rise or a shock. It's the, the heart of the adult who likes to push the limits and see what they can get away with. It's, it's the heart of the politician who speaks in opposites and claims consistency. How much can we get away with? That's what every one of us wants to know, isn't it? We want to test those limits. When we see that in ourselves, we begin to see just how our, our world has become as broken as it is. If everyone is seeing what they can get away with, even if it's seemingly small things, it adds up to a world that's full of, of big injustice and lots of evil. We sometimes hear people talk about, about this problem, don't we? We hear them talk about the problem of evil, but what I want us to see tonight is that, that Solomon tells us there's actually a problem for evil. And that problem for evil is that those who perpetuate evil cannot escape judgment. He says they cannot escape death. He, the, the way, again, he uses death here is not simply the ending of life, but it's being faced with the judgment of God for eternity. He says that it will be well for those who fear God, and it will go badly for the wicked who do not fear God. And this is the big test for us as God's people. Do we really believe in the justice of God? And if we do, can we wait patiently for it? And can we be contented in the here and the now, knowing that God's justice will reign, even if it doesn't appear to reign today? Do we really believe that God is sovereign over even the most wicked and most powerful of this world? Again, there's many ways in which we, we have it easier than the people that Solomon was, was writing these reflections for. They lived in a day where uh, the, the king was, was, was not just a figurehead. They lived in a day when the king had absolute power and you simply had to obey. We live in a day when uh, we can, can whinge but vote. But I think we, we desperately need to see that these, these rights have not actually reduced our need to believe in a sovereign God who is our ultimate judge. It's actually quite incredible to see how, how little has changed in the, the 3,000 or so years since Solomon wrote these words. We still get angry about, uh, about our, our, our leaders. We still get angry about the injustice we see around us. We still get angry about uh, the evil people that, that seem to be prospering and, and getting away with wickedness. The big difference is that we think we can take it upon ourselves to explain evil and to fix evil. Solomon says that we can't fix evil, but we know someone who can. And the last thing he tells us this evening is that it's not our job to fix evil, that our calling is simply to wait with patience for the true sovereign king to do his job. And that's the hope that we see tonight, isn't it? We see the comfort of waiting with patience. As if we haven't had it uh, underlined for us enough already, Solomon now puts the situation in about 24-point bold underlined font. He brings out this, this contradiction that makes all of us angry. There are people who live good lives. Uh, they are, are righteous, but they, they seem to suffer in a way that we would expect wicked people to suffer. Conversely, there are wicked people who seem to have uh, all the success. They get all the rewards, the, we would, the, the things that we would expect the righteous to have, the, the people who are, are doing evil seem to have. What do we do? 
Solomon proposes a, a solution in verse 15. He says, And I commend joy for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. Oh, wait, what, what did Solomon just say? It sounded like Solomon is saying that, that we should just be thankful for what we have and to enjoy the things that we have. Not only does he, he say you should, he says there's, there's nothing better to do in life than to be grateful and, and enjoy with thanksgiving the things that God has blessed you with. To worry less about what, what, what the evil people uh, are getting and to be grateful for what, we, what we've been given. And we think to that, but, but what about all the, the evil people? This, this doesn't actually fix anything. No, it doesn't. Because the problem of evil is too big for you. It's too big for me. It's too big for our government. It's too big for, for humanity. It's not your problem to solve. The question for us is, can you possibly be satisfied in a world that's so full of brokenness and sin? Certainly not fully. But Solomon says, wait. That's his whole point. It's wait. People love to ask the question, if God is good, then why does he allow evil or bad things to happen? Solomon says that, that he actually considered this. He applied all of his, his heart and mind to understand the evil that's done in all of the earth. Remember, Solomon was, again, the man who, was, who had asked God for wisdom, and God had blessed him with it. So this is our, this is our quote, top man on the case. What conclusion does he come to when he considers this problem of evil? The only conclusion he comes to is that God's ways are greater than our ways. That we could spend our whole lives trying to sort all the evil and problems and only end up in misery and angry and most likely angry at God too. And the reason is because we don't have the ability to fix the evil of our world. Because we ourselves are, are part of the problem. And the God who can fix it is, is beyond our comprehension. Ian Proven says of this, there's, there's nothing better for someone living in the present time under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. To know joy in the presence of God in, this, in his world. The business of living well before God in this way must not be sacrificed in the pursuit of truth that is ultimately beyond our grasp. This is what you might call comfort when you can't see the big picture. None of us can see the full picture, can we? None of us can grasp what God is doing in his, all of his creation. Solomon tried to, to see the whole picture. He tried to, to understand the ways of God. But his conclusion is that he couldn't crush that problem in his mind vice. Because even the, the, the wise mind of Solomon, a man who was given uh, exceptional wisdom from God, didn't have sufficient wisdom to understand it all. His mind vice wasn't big enough. And it, was a, 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 it wasn't big enough to grasp it all. You see, this is ultimately a test where we find our satisfaction. Is it found in receiving our just reward now? Or is it in knowing a God who is greater than the greatest evil in the world? The one who can satisfy us for eternity 
a God who works in pictures bigger than we can see or wrap our minds around. See, we can spend our lives seeking to understand it all, but the wisest man among us can't work out the ways of God. Solomon does not consider it wise to pursue the question of, of what God is doing at the expense of living well, the life that God has given us. See, Solomon wants us to see that, that true wisdom is, is actually in knowing our limits and trusting in a God who has no limits. True wisdom is, is, is finding our true place in creation and seeing that we're, we're creatures that are small and we're dependent upon God to provide. And we should be thankful and enjoy and celebrate the things that he's provided for us. And we should wait with patience for him to fix the problems that we made through our sin. Ultimately, Solomon calls us, and God's calling us here, to, to wait patiently, to wait with celebration, even amidst sorrow and tears of this world. And the beauty of the good news of the gospel is that God has, has provided that ultimate solution to the problem of evil and wickedness in our world. That, that the, the God that Solomon was waiting on to act, the wisdom that he he couldn't comprehend. You and I have seen take on human form in the, the person of Christ Jesus. The Son of God who came to carry the evil and wickedness that we committed. The one who came to pay the penalty for our sin at the cross. The one person who was capable of understanding the big picture, knowing the full mind of God, and being able to deal with the problem of evil in our world. He entered our world in Christ. Because in Christ, the, the fullness of God dwelt in bodily form. This is why he's the Savior and, and Solomon was merely the preacher and a one-time king. If we're in Christ, we should be able to, to heed the advice of Solomon, more so than, than even Solomon himself was able to, to heed his own advice. For in Christ, we should be able to wait with thankfulness and patience for our Savior and King to return and finish the work that he, he completed at the cross and will, will complete fully when he judges the righteous and the wicked. Let us pray.